Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today I have with me in the studio artist Christopher O'Connor. Thanks for coming in today. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing very well. So we happen to be taping this on St. Patrick's Day, and you and I were talking about the fact that despite the fact that you were from Ireland originally, St. Patrick's Day is not as big a deal for you. It's not as such a big deal. I mean, I love the pageantry. Growing up, it was always fun because there were parades, but it's just never something I've completely gotten into. And I think, um, you know, my friends growing up, you know, you're, you're a teenager, you're like, I don't know what this is about. Why are we celebrating this? And so, you know, you just, I just grew up that way. But, and, and I still don't quite understand what we're celebrating, but it's, it's fun, you know, it's a holiday. Um, people, it's, I guess one of the good things about it is it's a very joyful holiday. A lot of people seem like they really have fun on St. Patrick's Day. Sometimes maybe a little too fun. Um, but it's generally a good thing. Do you feel like, having moved to Portland in 2012, do you feel like you've managed to bring some of your Ireland Irishness with you? Do you feel like you maintain a connection with, with your home country? I do. Well, it's funny because I forget I have an accent. I mean, as anybody who has probably an accent does. And so when I go out, I, I could be, I mean, every probably third person I bump into, it could be at the store, like I was at the store last week, and this gentleman stopped me as I was paying, and he's like, so what part of Ireland are you from? And again, I forgot I have an accent. I was like, oh, I'm from Dingle. And he's like, oh, my God. He said, my son is down there at the moment. He's studying in Dublin, but he's visiting Dingle. And I get that all the time. Um, so many people have traveled to Ireland and even the place where I come from. Um, so when I'm over here, I feel like there's, I bump into Irish people all the time and they're so curious about if they've never been back to Ireland or they have their, their parents were from Ireland, but they've never visited yet. So they're, they're very excited to bump in and, and ask questions. And, and I love it. I mean, it's, it's a great thing. I, being Irish has always been a positive thing. Um, I've, I've really never run into people who find it a negative uh, attribute. Um, and you know, generally there's a jolliness, I think, to being Irish. Well, I'm interested in that that idea of jolliness because isn't there also a little bit of melancholy? That, mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah? A lot of the music has... Uh, one of my favorite pieces of music growing up was, I think it was called The Lonesome Boatman, and it's a piece of music with a tin whistle, and it's extremely lonesome. You can, it's a, I think it's about an old fisherman who has maybe out at sea at last, or, or else the, 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 the fishermen have not come home that evening. So, and that happened quite a lot, of course, which is ironic. What's a little ironic about things is a lot of Irish fishermen could not swim. Um, and yet they would be out in these treacherous waters in these little boats fishing. Um, but that's how they did it. Yeah. And actually where I come from, the, the area where I come from is... There's uh, the Blasket Islands are in that area. And during the famine, that was one of the few places that wasn't affected by the famine because they mostly fished and they had their own community out on the island, almost unaffected by it, which is pretty interesting. So there's an, an interesting parallel between where you are now in Maine with the coast and the yeah. islands off the coast and where you originally are from. Yes, and I, I felt like a natural attraction to go visit the islands as soon as I got here. It was almost like reconnecting with something. And I read somewhere, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but the geology of um, Maine 
and the geology of Ireland, um, at one point when there was a supercontinent, they were connected. And I like to think of it that way right now. Because when I paint the, um, the rock formations in Maine, they're, they're quite different from Ireland, but there's a, there's a connection at the same time. I'm remembering myself climbing along those rocks as a kid, picking up seashells um, and looking into pools and seeing the seaweed and the colors and, and just getting lost in that. And that's kind of how I paint. How are the rocks different in Ireland? The, well, I think it's because of there's so much moisture in Ireland. It's like so green, but everything has moss on them. And even the rocks that are way up off the, off the water where the water never reaches them, they have, they're covered in mosses and lichens. And it's really beautiful to look at. And there's so much life in there bursting. Um, and I think one of the things I really like about that too is there's, there's a high degree of abstraction in there. But yet, you, you know, your, your mind is rationally telling you what this is and what that is. But you can get lost in it really quickly. When I'm looking at your pieces, they, I mean, there's clearly a lot of lines to them. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, your technique is not necessarily based on straight lines. No, no. I Actually, uh, the work, the piece I'm working on right now, it's like a four by four foot piece. And it's, I started drawing on Monday and I have another day of drawing left on it. But I, I just love mapping it all out. Some of it will not stay. And by the time I'm finished, you will see rocks and you will see water. But, it, you know, if you look a little closer, it's all very abstract in there. There's squiggles, there's circles, there's angles. And, and if you take the time to slow down and look at that, kind of something opens up and expands. The rocks disappear. and It's almost like a state of mind. How did you get into the style of painting that you've chosen? I think part of it is I didn't take a, a normal route with art. Uh, I never went to art college. Um, and I think when I, when I first started discovering art, it was through books, art books, because, you know, there were, in the small town I was uh, grew up in, there were, you know, there's not a museum, there's not uh, access to, you know, artists, that many artists. But um, so I read a lot of books, and books really opened my mind and made me want to travel and want to see museums all over the world. And so then by the time I got to 19, I was finished with school. I mean, 18, finished with school. I, I could not, I, I did not want to go for four years somewhere. So I just got money together and traveled um, all over Europe. And that was really eye-opening. And, and just seeing how other cultures live and not understanding the language. And you have to, you have to, get the information in a different way, you know, by looking, connecting with people, even though you don't speak their language and how that opens up a different way of looking. Um, And then seeing the works you've always imagined um, in books, seeing them in the museums. And then uh, when you see anything in the flesh, it's different and it's got a a vibrancy and a feeling that you don't always pick up in in a book. But, But now it kind of unleashes something. And from a very young age, from 16, I knew I wanted to be an artist. Um, some people are born that way, I think. They just have a strong impression of something. Um, and so that's what I did. I just started painting. I came back. Um, I was in my mom's house for a while. And then I would just paint, 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 paint. And then there was some, there was some um, 
person who was um, who had a, I think it was a B and B or something like that, and they purchased like twenty paintings. So that allowed me to go off to Europe again and look at more art, and that kind of has how it has happened up to this point. Um, I just get a break somewhere and I'm able to continue doing what I do. And even to this day, I get to do it every day, which is lovely. But I think it's the, because I did, I didn't come at it through a route of, you know, going to college and all of those aspect, uh, expectations and aspirations. And a lot of people I, I, I meet, um, they can feel a little lost after coming out of college um, because, you know, all the, um, the structures they had are, are now, you know, they're they're let out into the world, and you have to get up in the morning and decide what you want to do. There's nobody maybe telling you you need to do this. There's no class to go to, and that's that can be kind of disorientating for people. And I never had that because I just I just had to paint, um, and I, you know, these the, the books, the museums. I think I have a very romantic nature, so these things just made that just go haywire. Were there pieces or artists or places that you found particularly compelling? Sure. There were two books I got when I was 16, a friend of mine lent them. One was Lust for Life, and the other was The Agony and the Ecstasy, and they were by Irving Stone, I believe. And one is on Michelangelo, uh, The Agony and the Ecstasy, and Lust for Life is on um, Vincent Van Gogh. And those are just, those, those books just at 16 years of age, they just was like, oh my God, this is wonderful. They're dramatic, they're romantic, they're, they're full of like following your dreams but not knowing what's going to happen. Um, it's, it's very thrilling and it, it filled me with an awful lot of um, drive and excitement to, to live a life like that. And then, you know, the, started to uh, um, discover the Impressionists and and George Seurat, who's like a pointillist, that, that was very important to me because my approach is almost, um, I like building things up slowly. And George Seurat was one of these artists who, even though he died very young, he, he just you know created dots, 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 dots. Um, and he has an intriguing life because um, he lived with his mom most of his life, even though he only he died when he was maybe 30. I can't quite remember. But um, he had an intriguing life. He would paint these really large pictures um, and then try to figure out where he would hang them. But bit by bit, he became well-known. Um, but the process of making these pictures, and the, the thing about George Surad, though, was he was very scientific about his approach. That part is not interesting to me. Um, I, I'm not particularly scientific about my approach. It's, it's very kind of, um, how would I say it, intuitive. It's an intuitive, because I think George ran into, if he had lived a little longer, he would have ran into that problem of what do you do after you have ironed out all of the kinks to everything, you need to alter it again to find the creativity because the creativity will die if you, if you know exactly how everything's going to fall into place. Is that possibly one of the issues with being in the academic world and is that things are laid out along a certain path based on what others believe to be important aspects of art or really anything else? Right. And then you get to the end of that path and maybe all the questions haven't actually been answered. Right. In, in, in most cases, probably not. In, in fact, a lot of the questions are only coming up now because you're out on your own and you have to make all the decisions yourself. Um, it, it, that's why it would be good to have a group of people around you who are doing similar things 
and they have the same drive and they have the same motivation because that's almost like a little startup there. That's where people get really passing on ideas. And I th- I've always been interested in, in history where ideas seem to pop up at the same time in different places. It's like there's something in the ether. Um, and people who have never known each other, you know, they'll start doing something along these similar lines. And I find that fascinating, that ideas could be, you know, the right time, the right place. They're ready. I'm interested that even as a younger person, you were reading about artists who some of whom would be considered troubled. Mm-hmm. I'm specifically sure. thinking about Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't concern you. You didn't think, oh, I don't want to be troubled like Van Gogh. Sure. You said, well, I'm willing to, to step into that space of not knowing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was a, it wasn't a conflict initially for me because it was just so exciting to discover new, new stories. Um, but I think over time I, I started to wonder about um, an artist having, you know, the stereotype of the artist having the troubled life, they're, they're broke, they're struggling, um, they, you know, they're, they're having to ask for, um, you know, people to help them out in places or, or to get materials. But I've never really believed in that aspect. I've never believed that an artist has to be troubled to create great work. Um, it's just like in movies where the protagonists are always the dark ones and they're the ones that engage us more for some reason but i think it would be more interesting to have stories where the protagonists are actually not troubled but but leading people in actually great spaces and into great areas and that could be thrilling too it it doesn't always have to be oh you know this artist struggled all his life never sold a painting and now all his work is in museums all over the world and priceless um you know, I, I would like to be an artist who's living, making a living and enjoying what I'm doing and not have to be, you know, have a troubled past or personality to create work that is engaging. When I was I was listening to a, a book about Van Gogh and one of the things I was struck by was his belief in himself. Mm-hmm. And and that was what it was kind of it was a both and it was mm-hmm. both um very helpful for moving him forward in his artistic career and also caused a lot of conflict with his family and people around him. So I wonder if there's a way to to kind of encapsulate or capture somehow that drive that that he had and not necessarily have it lead towards this brokenness and this so sort of the trope of the troubled artist that you're right. describing. Yeah, because it's what's challenging sometimes is you... You know, and I think as an artist, and this really kind of could be a lot of different types of people, but you get you can get so involved in what you do to, you know, to the exclusion of everything around you sometimes, and that can create troubles, I think. So you, you have to create, you know, balance in life. And, and balance to me is, is about working daily, working a certain amount of hours daily, and then, you know, having time to also spend with your family and do things that need to be done outside of you know, painting. But ultimately, I need to paint every day because that seems to be the only thing that gives me true meaning about why I'm alive. And I don't even always have words to describe that, but hopefully some of it comes up in, in my work. You're the youngest of five. Youngest of, I better be, I better be right about this, sometimes small numbers can be 
trickier. Um, six. Six. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are four brothers and a sister. Okay. Did anybody else in your family go into art? No, they didn't. And that's the bizarre thing. It's uh, maybe not that bizarre, but there wasn't really a lot of art growing up in the town I, I, I grew up in. Um, but one of the interesting things, my grandma, who um, was always making little things, you know, we would go to, this, we would go to the, the shoreline and go look for shells for hours. And then we would come home and wash them all. And then we would, she would, we had to cut them a certain way and she would make dolls out of the seashells. And then she would also make paintings or pictures, should I say, frames. She'd find a little postcard that she really liked and then she would make a really big shell or frame around it. And she was great. She would put them all out in, in great detail and she would organize everything first. And then bit by bit, she would glue each one back in. And she was great. She was industrious. She had a window in a, a shop in town and then she would put them all on the window and it was around the time when Ryan's daughter was being made. That was kind of, it was made just outside of Dingle. And she sold them all and she kept selling them all. And she was like, this was great. This was like extra money for her. But it was also like, uh, somehow I was involved in the process later on in life. When initially, when she started making my I wasn't on the planet. But um, yeah, I would go with her because I was the youngest and, and keep an eye on things. Um, and we would just spend the day looking shells and I think that's part of why I also paint what I paint it's it's your your memories the things that um you know you spent have great memories with and kind of almost recreating them repercolating them into something new but I nobody I grew up with really did art um I had two friends who 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 became artists too and uh, we kind of all bought a book each so that we could circulate them around with each other um but somehow my sister too was um she won a competition in her art class and she won a box of paints of oil paints so she she ended up giving that to me at like 15 or 16 and then my oldest brother thomas would he would draw all of these um disney characters on our walls so i mean i had those influences and as a child those influences are very powerful especially when they're, they're close to you. I'm intrigued by what you're describing as um, this willingness to explore something that you don't rationally understand, mm-hmm. this, this sense of going with your intuition and spending time being in a space that hasn't been carefully constructed for you, mm-hmm. and the um, self-awareness that you must have and the trust in, I guess, the trust in the process, they will say. You totally have to have trust. And it's a thing you just develop over time. Um, You know, you have to have faith in what you do. And I think once you do, once you know it's all going to be okay at the end, you know. It's interesting because art is one of these elusive things. People connect to different types of things. and, And art... There's every type of art out there. You know, as, as creators, we make all sorts of things and people are connected or, or connect to all sorts of creations. For me, the way I paint, it, I think it very much kind of describes my personality. I, I can really hone in on something um, and then I have to pull back out again and see what, what am I doing here? But 
it's a lot of kind of back and forth. It's almost like focusing a camera and, and then taking it out of focus so you can see it a little better. Um, but I'm at a point now where I do trust myself. And, and, and even when I'm having a day where I can't paint a straight line, um, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not really bothered by that because I know tomorrow I come down here and um, something else might happen, will happen. And I love that. I love, I love trying to be carefree with what you're doing, even though it's like you devote your whole life to it. But you cannot take it too serious. you got to show up every day, but you cannot be too serious about it. Because I think if you are, you kind of rule a, a, quite a number of um, creative aspects out. Because sometimes when you're making something, you might completely take a pivot and... If you allow yourself to do that, you, you might just discover something new that you can add to your repertoire, which is highly exciting because it may not happen that often. Something that truly connects to you, that uh, all of a sudden you're introducing to your work and it just, it just works in, in the way you paint or create. So when you say that this in some ways reflects your personality, mm. what, what does that mean? Mm, that's a good. That's a good question because our, our personalities are always slightly changing, especially over time, over years. But I, I do think there's like a core to your personality, and that I would say maybe doesn't change that much. And I feel like when I look at my paintings, I, I kind of see my personality in there. It's a it's a very particularness to things. Um, you know, if you if you ever come to my studio, it's it's I almost think of it as a laboratory. Everything is organized there because I don't want to spend time looking for things. I just want to paint. Um, so everything is where I need it. And I can just uh, go right over to my easel and start painting. And one of the fun fun things is actually when I do run out of something and I haven't you know, bought a replacement. That's actually when something new can happen for me because I have to pick up either a different paintbrush or a different color now that I haven't used for ages. And all of a sudden that can spark something completely new. And that is part of my personality. I can, I can repeat and do a similar thing for quite a while. And then it's almost like a trajectory in space. I hit against something and that shifts me in a whole new direction. And it can be the smallest thing or it can be the biggest thing. Um, there's so many variations on it. But for me, a, a big painting, to get involved in a big painting, is, is a wonderful place to get involved in, because I, I could be gone for a month now. But, but not, you know, because you get to a place where you're like, once you go to, down into your studio, and I like rituals, I like to do a similar thing every morning so that I can get into a headspace. Um, you can just do that, you can click on and you can click off again. Over time, you can get to that place where you can just, okay, I'm painting now. And off you go. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes like you just, okay, it's not working today. Go take a walk or go out into the garden and plant something. Yeah. But it's, it's different every time. And it, it's interesting. Sometimes I think, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Contact uh, with Jodie Foster. And she's in a, I think she's in a, sh a shuttle or something where um, it's, it's about to take off, but it doesn't. 
and and she the experience she had was different from what everyone else was seeing she went off somewhere and she had this amazing experience but when she came back came out of the, the shuttle everyone's like no it failed it never went anywhere and sometimes painting is like that you're sitting there anybody who comes down and just sees you you're just sitting there but you you could be off anywhere as you're painting and that's kind of really fun do you think that we give ourselves the space to engage in that sort of activity on a regular basis? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think, I think not. And I think things have really sped up now. Um, I say that because whenever I go to one of the islands and I spend an, a night there, it's like, my goodness, the change in tempo in your mind, you know, you just can completely relax. And you're out underneath the stars in the evening. There's no cars. There's not many sounds. And it's really quite nice. You can really slow down. And that makes me then realize, gosh, actually we are all sped up. It's really hard to slow down sometimes because there's always like a bucket list of things to do. And painting for me is one of those places where I can close the door on that for a little bit and go into a place. I know during the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of people who were reengaging with nature and going to the national parks in the United States. And probably this was a global phenomenon, I would say. And now people are starting to go back to work and work is starting to be back on site and people are starting to kind of, I, I guess, get reconnected to everything electronic and maybe fewer things that are in nature. How... How should we, how, I don't even know if should's a great word, but how do you continue to stay connected? Is it the rituals you're describing? It's the rituals to a degree, like the, keeping them daily kind of keeps you in that place daily. Um, it's, it's one of the things I have always done is gardening, and that really helps to center me. Um, like if I'm having not a great painting day, um, I can just pop out into the garden and do a couple of hours of something and then I can come back in and try it out again. But like it's very, it's, it's so, um, I don't want to, it's so therapeutic to go out and have your hands in the soil and plant things and watch things grow. Um, and while you're out there, you're just, you know, looking around, you might see the light hitting a tree in a certain way. And, you know, that just spurs inspiration and you're like, okay, I need to go in and paint. Like there's just this feeling when you see certain things that you like, okay, I need to go back in now and, and work on a few things. Not necessarily that tree or that light, but you, you just are, have been inspired again by something, you know, that thing that's around you at all times, wherever you go. Uh, I'm, I'm always intrigued by um, putting something in the right type of soil with the mm -hmm. right type of light, with the right mm -hmm. environment and seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. And, and I love the fact that really when you are working with plants, just say, but really any living thing, you're not necessarily doing anything other than creating the possibility mm -hmm. that it's going to thrive or not. Right. And for me, I love going back. I have a little planting bench downstairs and I'll go downstairs and I'll say, oh, those are those little spider plants that I mm -hmm. took and put them in the soil. Are they going to are they going to thrive or are they not going to thrive? Right. Yeah. No, and it's interesting. Sometimes my biggest success with planting is when I leave them alone, you know. 
sometimes I overwork things. And then and these are lessons you can carry through with to your painting when you are working on something. And there's been many instances where I'm working on something and I'm like, okay, I think this is done, but I'll push it a little further. And sometimes pushing it a little further is great. Like you discover something new and you maybe make the painting even into a better thing. And sometimes you just destroy it because you have overworked it. Um, but those are lessons and, and it's okay. You just start another painting. Yes, I found the same thing in working with people because that's mostly what my other job is, is working right. with people, is that there's the inclination to, to want to have such control over that you want to keep going back to that person and saying, but wait, can we explore this a little further? And sometimes what you need to do is just leave it alone yeah. so that they can process things on their own and come to whatever new space they need to come to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you really can't control right. what goes on. Yeah, no, totally true. Sometimes it just is what it is. And maybe either you can't or you're not the person. Um, but I definitely agree with that sense of space, giving a space and, and just allowing it to allowing it to unravel or on on what's the word? Yeah, open up and just be be whatever it's going to be. Um, and I feel I find that in painting a lot because I draw out my paintings in quite detail. And yet that's by the time I'm finished with that, it's actually just the start. And now once I start adding color, I'm really trying to create this tension between the color that I add and the, and the lines that are already there. And some of the lines will disappear and, and some of the color will take over in parts. And, and then, but there's still such a strong sense of line that I, I'm never worried about that part disappearing. But I'm always trying to get it to a place where the line becomes the color, the color is the line. There's no differentiation between them and that's what creates the strength of the work that you kind of can get lost in between for me like with with the coastal water series the rocks are a way into the painting like like total abstraction sometimes can be intimidating for people because you're you know, sometimes i think a lot of us are trying to find that one thing we can connect to and see and go from there um and so with the rocks for me that's what that is it's an opening into some place um and once you get past the rocks and go into the painting, it's almost like you you can just wander off into all of these little places like I did as a child, going to all the pools and picking up seashells. And, and that's a beautiful space because it's very open and it's there's not judgment there and, and you're just discovering things and looking at things. And I think uh, as a painter, one of the challenges for me is to, to create a painting that from a distance looks interesting and then you go up close to it and it's still interesting hopefully um but it still keeps its tension from from up close because that's quite challenging to do i i have had experiences in museums going to the paintings and seeing them in books and being so excited to see them and then seeing them in person going okay interesting but it it didn't quite have when i went up close to it the same uh, tension that i wanted um, and there was one instance where i was in I think it was the Georges Pompidou in Paris, and I was looking at a Nicolas de, de Stahl, I think you'd say he's, he's a French painter, and it was called the Orchestra or the Symphony. And I was looking at it, it was a very abstract piece. I was looking at it, and I was like, I was tired, so I just sat down looking at it. And then maybe after 10 minutes, I started laughing. And I could see the image, I could see the painting, 
um, and I was I was blown away that um, I was looking at it initially and just not seeing anything, and not, nothing was really connecting me. But I was tired, so I think my, my critique was down a little, and and so then I was just looking at it, you know, just looking at it openly, and then I saw the painting, and that was kind of really, really interesting to realize, and this is probably back in my early twenties, that. You know, sometimes you come to things with a lot of preconceived notions and they can block you from seeing what's in front of you. Um, and so that painting was really interesting to uh, allow me to see that. And I've never forgotten that um, impression I had, that um, it made me laugh out loud. And I'm not the kind of person who generally laughs out loud, um, but that was kind of fun. It is also really interesting to know um to think you're going to a museum because there's a, a piece there that you've always wanted to see and then getting there and maybe having that not be something you're actually that interested in but something else that you wouldn't necessarily have expected mm -hmm. to draw you in yeah and i've had many instances where i've looked at paintings and initially not seen the painting like i've looked at it and been confused about what i'm looking at and then over time, um, the painting, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, that's what that painting is. How did I not see that? I mean, it is plain as day now. But, and once you see it, you can't unsee it, which is fascinating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just always so interesting. Look how you look at something uh, and differentiating that about how you think about something. Because there is a difference. Uh, the the paintings I'm doing right now that the rock paintings uh, I like working on the larger pieces because the largeness allows you to have that that feeling of you're looking at something you 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 generally know what you're looking at but then the more you look at it other things start opening up and you get a little confused but not in a bad way you're just confused because you're like oh what is that and then if you carry off with that you can kind of go off into this world i find it a world of shapes a world of color that i think is very in, in integral to us at a very basic level we connect to that place because i i don't think there's as soon as we form images almost of something or words that's when i feel like our mind starts to create scenarios that aren't always there i remember going to see the Mona Lisa and having it be surrounded by people. You couldn't even get that close to it. And it was so much smaller than I thought that it was. And just being struck by the fact that by the time I actually saw it in person, there were so many layers between me and the piece that was actually hanging on the wall that it would have been better if I had just kept it in my mind mm -hmm. as something that I had seen in a book. Let's right. just say. Yeah, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. I, I had the same experience when I saw that. I actually got frustrated that I just, I moved on. I think I saw it for a split second, but there were so many people. It was not enjoyable. Um, but then it's, what's interesting is, again, then you go off. That was your preconceived notion to see the Mona Lisa. You saw it. It was, it was It's not so much that the painting was okay, just the experience wasn't great. And then you move on to another part of the museum and you discover something you'd never even known about. And again, it might be a painter or a painting that is very obscure and not very much in the history books, but it, it, it could actually reveal something to you a lot more than the Mona 
recently. Well, we're excited that you've joined the Portland Art Gallery, having been in Maine since 2012. 2012, yes. Well, I've, um, I'm pretty excited I've joined the Portland Art Gallery too because um, I've always had my eye on the Portland Art Gallery. I mean, I think having space in Portland to represent your work is, is a great thing because um, living here, you know, um, I'm only a half an hour outside Portland in Wyndham. I always like going into Portland and if there's an opportunity to see art, that, you know, Portland Art Gallery is in the perfect location. And I think it will just, you know, allow my, my work to be seen by a lot more people, which is always a good thing. And it's always exciting to show your work because it really is lovely to hear people's responses. Even if it's critical, it's, it's fine. I mean, when you put work out, you have to be okay with receiving back information that might not be what you want to hear. Well, that's a very uh, balanced and considered response to criticism that I don't think everybody shares. Sure, but I think like at a younger age, I would like blow, blow a trumpet when I got some bad news about something. And, you know, you do that for a while and then you realize, well, that's just silly. Um, you got to move on from that. Um, and so hopefully I think I have. Um, but, yeah. Criticism is, again, it's like when you're younger, if you can find somebody to show your work to um, that you trust and, and you value their work, and if they can give you criticism in a very constructive way, that's actually great. That's really, that's really productive. And if you're open enough to receive it. But I think if they deliver it in, in a certain way, you, you can be open to, to receiving it. But that's actually really informative if you take it in. Because I think the more you show your work and the more you interact with your audience and, and the public, like it is, um, it is a back and forth. You know, even though I produce the work on my own in my studio, when you present it to the public, like now it's out there, and you really have no control, and you shouldn't really have to have control over it. It's, some people will love it, and some people will not be connected to it, and and that's perfectly fine. Because I experienced that myself with art. I think I was reading recently about um, about the idea of narrative and, and the idea of a story and the intersubjectivity that occurs between the, the person who creates the story and the person who reads the story. And it's that interesting, that space that where somebody has put something out there and somebody else is, is letting it into their right. sphere. And, it, and you're right, there really isn't a control. Right. And I don't think there should be because... If I think of myself, like all of the artists that have influenced me, um, if they had decided to not show their work for whatever reason, like, I don't know, I would maybe be a different artist, I don't know. But I have loved having the freedom to look at all of these artists over the centuries now. Um, and the, sometimes the artist that you wouldn't think could influence you a lot has a big influence on your work. And, you know, it's just nothing is... You know, as artists, I think, like, we're, we're all creating on top of what has already been created. And that's a wonderful thing. It's, I think it's fascinating that you could give one subject to ten artists and it will all be different. I mean, that is just amazing as a, a human endeavor that we can do these things like that. I mean, we're all so creative, I think, if we just allow the space to be there. To, and creativity shows up in everything. Um, I've always, I was always fascinated as a, as a young teenager looking at cultures around the world and, and seeing how they, they made everything particular. Their clothing, their jewels, their, their utensils were all embellished 
They were all for the glory of something great. And I found that fascinating. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation today. And I'm sure that people will enjoy seeing your work at the Portland Art Gallery. And I hope that you and I have a chance to interact at a future opening, perhaps. Oh, I think uh, definitely. I look forward to it, Lisa. I've been speaking with artist Christopher O'Connor. We're glad to have him joining us at the Portland Art Gallery. And I encourage you to take the time to get to know his work at the gallery or online. I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you've been listening to or watching Radio Maine. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Lisa.